the sport industry access podcast episode 119 what does it take to be a sports presenter Welcome to another episode of the Sport Industry Access Podcast. I'm your host, Ed Bowers. As always, my goal each week is to interview a special guest who is a sports expert in a specific field in the sports industry, especially if you have an interest in pursuing a career in sports broadcasting. I hope today's episode can be useful to you with regards to your interests and needs. Now, getting back to today's show, this week's special guest is Ed Draper. Ed is a TV, radio and online presenter with over 10 years of experience in sports broadcasting and Ed is currently a presenter at Sky Sports News and for that reason it's an absolute privilege to have Ed as a special guest on the show. That's why in today's episode Ed will share his sports career journey and explain to you what it takes to pursue a career as a sports presenter. Ed, it's a pleasure to have you on the show. Please could you share your sports career journey to listeners. When did it all start? Okay, yeah, well, it's um, in terms of sports career, hello, everyone. Uh, thanks for having me on, Ed. My sports career began, I think, as about a year old, kicking a football in my back garden. My parents were, were born in London originally, and then we moved to Cardiff. I remember I was used to, I think, I had about 10 or 15 footballs kicking them over the back fence. The next-door neighbour would then come out and throw them back, and I kept doing that. Played a lot of football, played rugby, cricket at school, we lived in the West Indies for a little bit, so did a bit of water sports and I was out there. And then we came back and I think around 12, 13, had played sort of local level, ended up playing a bit semi-professional football, but was cognizant that maybe we wouldn't make it. Maybe didn't have that explosive pace to make it as a, a professional football, or maybe just not the belief or, or whatever it was. But I started thinking about sports journalism uh, from that point on and then and then went on a, a pathway of going to university to study English literature and sports science at Loughborough, kind of combining my two interests, really, which was English words with with sports interests. And obviously studied the physiology and the science side of sport, but also psychology and sociology, which is fascinating. And whilst doing that, I was coaching football in America in the summers and then had an opportunity off the back of that and a contact to apply to journalism school in the States, did a master's out there at a place called Ohio University, which was was fantastic and, and studied lots of um, lots of different things, uh, print, radio, TV, online, lots of experience because the university was affiliated with local media. So did American football reporting on TV, uh, regular association football commentary, uh, did uh, writing for a paper, covering high school basketball, loads of different stuff, and then came back and worked my way up through local BBC radio into, into covering um, sports for Sky Sports and absolute radio which was briefly known as virgin radio before it turned over when i was working there there is now a different virgin radio but lots of different uh experiences worked at the olympics hosting on the big screen in london 2012 at the paralympics and also in the excel for the boxing side of it which has been a big passion of mine i've hosted a boxing podcast at sky and currently work for matrium a little bit hosting their world feed from from big fight nights so 
Yeah, it's been a it's been a long journey, but it was born out of passion from the, from the get go. I suppose primarily with football and then other sports growing up, watching, playing, and just just trying to get involved and being fascinated by it from the from the start, really. Ed, I wish you could see my face. I've got this huge smile because I'm just literally blown away. Just really quickly, I have to go backwards in time now. Out of interest, how has your education from a degree factor supported you looking back now? What, from, from my undergraduate degree, or do you think, or the, yeah, my, my undergraduate degree to start on that was uh, Loughborough. I mean, it was amongst kind of good company in terms of there's some professional athletes, would be professional athletes. Uh, I remember Paula Radcliffe used to train in our gym. She was probably in her 30s, maybe near to them by then, a senior senior athlete anyway. And being around those kind of people, dedication was was impressive. A lot of guys in the football arena there, I played up to the seconds out of seven teams, were, were former sort of first-year professionals, 18, 19, uh, played and, and lived actually with a guy called Chris Whittle who used to play for Blackburn Rovers or was trying to come through even when Alan Shearer was there. So that takes you back to, to that kind of time. And, and it was a bit... Just being fascinated by the sociology classes, psychology classes, the sport, what makes people make it, the the training aspects of it. So I've always been intrigued by it and kind of what we get out of sport, what it demonstrates. I suppose mastery is a big thing for me, is that dedication to, to, to perform a skill, to get 10,000 hours. And then the psychology of performing it in the moment was always really interesting to me and documenting it and the sort of place in culture that it has particularly football in England going back to the 19th century and before that really when it was kind of village football and, and everything so it's just being it's a great place to be and then at, at the university in the States just the opportunity to, to learn your craft was was great because if you wanted to work there was opportunity there to to write to, to broadcast radio to be on TV to get your mistakes out and things like that so I was really lucky to, to have that training ground be able to throw myself in and be a part of my life I think where little bit mature, more mature at 22, maybe 23 than I was previously. And I, I commit myself to it. And uh, it was great fun. Yeah, really good fun. Just relating to that point, because a lot of the listeners are at that sort of age now. And if they are at university, how important is it to put yourself out there? Because when you gave those little examples of you doing a bit in the NFL, a bit on basketball, how important was that from an experience point of view yeah when well, you say NFL it actually wasn't it was um it was local high school football which in southeast Ohio was was huge the, the kind of local high schools would all be packed full of the townspeople because kind of rural places down there like Athens Ohio where I was and Marietta Ohio and, and places or Marietta I think it's pronounced kind of uh by the Gloucester which was obviously was from people from Gloucester originally I guess that had gone out there and it was Friday night lights so it was it was all that if you've kind of familiar that culture it's a big big deal not quite as big as texas where friday night lights are set but it's a big part of ohio and i cut my teeth doing sort of american football on a high highlights sort of um, program called gridiron glory where you'd have to go out with a camera person who was training to be a camera person they'd film the first half typically depending on how far a drive you were away from the base at athens ohio you then have to sort of like note down a few highlights come back try and check those highlights on the camera kind of which is horrible for me because I got real bad travel sickness when I read or do anything in the car, so that was difficult. But we get back and we didn't have to go to air, and I completely blew up the first time trying to do my highlights and work out what this route was and that route was because I had no idea, no real introduction to American football before going out other than watching NFL highlights maybe on TV. So that was a really good experience. Covering high school basketball was good. First, trying to keep a box score. If anyone's familiar with that, you have the stats, shooting stats, assists, rebounds, whilst trying to sort of plot the narrative of the story right up and actually the guy was my editor just said look you write the story 
and um, give us a basic box score because it's quite complex. If you look at a basketball um, box score, which a lot of local journalists out there have to do themselves for the newspapers and things, which is really impressive aspect to it. And uh, yeah, got myself in some hot water a couple of times as well because you'd write up stuff that was sent in to you for, for local games and people get offended if it's about kids and you said it was a cakewalk or an easy win and then people would disagree with what you've written. I had an editor who was um, partial for, to a drink and he'd sort of try and sensationalise things, pull quotes and stuff that would then have mums and coaches unhappy with you. So a really passionate environment with high school sports. So it was, fantastic. It was great to be a part of that. And I think to, to cover a sport that you're not familiar with it's a really good grounding, actually. And sometimes, in a way, when you, as you get more experience, it becomes more simple because you are genuinely intrigued by it and you're asking questions out of, um, of uh, sincerity rather than sometimes, I think, it's more difficult with sports like football where everyone feels like they know it. So I think it can be can be tricky in a way you just keep it simple with the sports you're not as familiar with in my opinion it sort of relates to having that curiosity just really quickly reflecting now because I find this really fascinating how have you learned that sport is so important with regards to different cultures because you've worked now in the states you've done stuff in the UK have you seen like any comparisons or similarities from a working environment yeah definitely I think in the states it's, it's definitely sort of a social thing embedded in the local sport and it's different on the, in the grand scheme of things. So I played for Malvern Town briefly as a 17, 18-year-old in what was the old Beezer Homes Midland Prem, so it's several tiers down in the sort of but below the conference. But it was not, you know, you get a couple of hundred people maybe coming to watch in Malvern. It was a, not a big sporting town when I was, that was when I was a teenager. Whereas over the, in the States, because of the sheer scale of it, local sport becomes huge particularly even you know college sport they get 30,000 at a high university which is what they call division three I believe college not a high one but then up the road in Columbus Ohio Ohio State you get 100,000 plus in their horseshoe stadium to watch American football college games and obviously a lot of those guys wouldn't progress to the NFL in terms of quality and standard but there was just that sort of that passion and further but you in a sense because of the geography of the states it was different because you didn't get the animosity the tribalism you didn't have teams like Liverpool and Everton across the park I know they call that a friendly derby, but even if you, you you compare Liverpool to Manchester United and that rivalry, there's very few teams other than professional sport in the States, that Eastern Seaboard, probably the Yankees, the Red Sox, they're close enough to have away fans and things like that and a kind of local sort of fervour about it. But it's different in that sense, but it's certainly very much a social event, like tailgating around NFL games, college games, because there's only sort of... 15, 20 games max in a season, they become huge events in that sense, whereas I suppose in England there's more of a, a regular commitment um, and differences between sports as well. So I coached in the States for, for sort of youth football and it was very much seen as acceptable for, for women to play. It was a big part of that. It was not seen as, a, um, when I was growing up, maybe a kind of uh, odds with, with femininity and stuff, whereas in the States it was a thing that all girls played. And I think that's changing here. Which I've got a little girl, which is fantastic given you know girls and boys more opportunity to play I think it's important for both to have that chance to have a hobby and a passion. Absolutely just looking at sports a bigger picture now have you seen the sports industry develop relating to the 10 years you working in sports broadcasting? It's, it's, it's strange actually because we had this theoretical stuff at uni where we were talking in the states about they called it media convergence was the, was, the, was the kind of risk back then and we'd write pieces for online as well as part of that I wrote for a a website called soccertimes.com covering the Columbus crew and MLS a little bit. And you tried to, to get your hand in it. There's always a projection that newspapers would struggle, a bit diversification of the media. And I don't think we really predicted the quite huge scale of the internet. And I suppose 
the internet is what people maybe say is reaching the maturity now. We've got all these out there. So it's easy for people to publish. There's so much out there uh, that it's, it's just exploded. Sports media. I mean, I went to, I was on a holiday in Amsterdam and went to chat to some people. I don't know if guys will be familiar with it, but 433, which is an Instagram account which has blown up this year. It's based in Amsterdam and there's places where people are kind of got these boutique media agencies providing content. It just seems to have a real shift in the, the, the intensity around the sport certainly has definitely increased even more so I think around the Premier League and Champions League and football the conversation the dialogue's continuous on social media and, and everywhere else and all the different websites that have sprung up I've written a couple of pieces recently forgivemesport.com on boxing which has been I think tagged um, predominantly through Facebook and it's a, it's, a, it's a fascinating landscape I mean the media landscape's just um, really exploded and I think Football has uh, certainly continued that way, and it, it's interesting that, that sports have their rise and fall in that context. And boxing seems to be on the rise now. And in the UK, it's, it's always an interesting battle to see what sport can kind of take that number two status, I suppose, because that's that's quite a fluid picture. Just relating to today's podcast topic, now Ed, what does it take to be a sports presenter? Would you mind going through your journey? Yeah, sure. Well, I mean, as, as I've said, I think. It's, it's sort of self-awareness from from an early start. It wasn't really sports presenting I was thinking of. Apparently, I did mention because I was 16, 17 when Sky Sports News launched. Apparently, friends, I did say, oh, like a, like a crack at that down the, down the line. That would be really fun. But I didn't really sort of, I'd always thought since being a little kid that sports writing would be, because that was something that was more common when I was a kid. There was an outlet I enjoyed writing at, at school and obviously loved sport. And I think that was something that, Sown a seed. I did work experience at a local paper when I was 14, 15. I think it's year 10 that we, we did that. And then had, ri- had written a little bit at university in my undergraduate whilst playing kind of match reports and games that often that I played in or coached uh, for the magazine label at Loughborough University. So it'd been sort of writing, being an outlet because of, of communication being sort of where I sort of wanted to, to work, work with words and things like that. But then it was going to college in the States and just seeing the sheer sort of availability, the opportunity to go onto local TV talk about sport initially i got on to a sort of like pundits talk about english fo- english football association uh, football soccer they call it out there and then sort of got the opportunity to thought i actually quite enjoy this and i think it's that self-awareness to think you know i like communicating i like talking i don't mind being in front of the camera although you get nervous at the start i think if you grow into that and start to enjoy that and that's an interesting point because i think there's a sort of kudos around it but actually you do have to enjoy it because it's it's one of those jobs where people might perceive it as being a great job. But then, you know, it's not for you. It's not for you. I think you quite often see people who are good and accomplished at doing what they're doing, but don't seem to sort of enjoy it, maybe still get get nerves. So I sort of had those opportunities to, to do that and then um, did sort of local sports news, local, actually read local news and stuff like that in the in the States, which was which was interesting. Got told I had to pronounce Tuesday, Tuesday and things like that. So there was a few uh, a few kind of uh, interesting aspects of learning broadcasting in the States versus here. But then coming back and just just feeling that if the opportunities came up to try and prioritise broadcasting. So radio obviously was out of vision, a lot of it. But then having an opportunity, which I forgot to mention before, was which led to this guy I was working for a company called Sportal.com, which was a kind of sportal, uh, sports bulletins on the internet back in sort of 2006, 2007. They then started providing uh, video content which we were filming in a tiny broom cupboard sort of in, in Victoria in central London and we were putting that out to football365.com teamtalk.com which I believe I know football365 is definitely still going and they were bought by Sky so it's just not I think that was 
was just doing it, feeling that you enjoyed it, feeling that you could get better, were getting better. And it was an avenue because I think it's, it's easy to come out and get jobs in production and think you're close to the fire, so you're kind of going to get an opportunity. Maybe you do later on, like Ray Stubbs, famous broadcaster. I think he was a producer originally, but for me it was almost that peripatetic approach of doing loads of different things suited me better to just get experience and get on a mic, get behind, get in front of a camera, just see how it felt and uh, train stuff, which you can do to be fair now without necessarily without this, because you can buy the equipment, you can do it in your room, but it's not quite the same without that, that sort of external pressure. But I think there are ways of, of honing your craft. Perhaps there weren't 10, 10 or so years ago when I was, when I was starting out. I find this really interesting. And the one thing I was going to ask is with regards to the work you're currently doing now, would you mind sharing to listeners what you do behind the scenes when you're not on the camera? For example, like what sort of preparation strategy do you have so you are ready and you're not nervous when you're in front of that camera? Yeah, well, I mean, that's a different aspect. It's sort of like getting your state right, I suppose, in terms of feeling relaxed. But I suppose there's, um, it fluctuates. If you're doing a weekday day shift, typically you may have press conferences. You need to be aware of what's coming in and what the, the games are, the context of if you've got Manchester United coming in, what's the last result, what's the fixture coming up, things that you can just riff around an ad lib around but there's um also kind of if you're on a busy weekend shift so like a sunday afternoon i did three to eight shift which is a long shift actually on sundays on sky sports news but great because you've this weekend particularly had the derby day three premier league games uh so to come in and probably three four hours before just get prepped up on that and often you won't maybe use that prep because of the game is great you're just chatting to an analyst who's on the set with you updating you but it's just good to have in your pocket to have a few stats have a few head-to-head records uh, an awareness of things. And I think typically for me, so you're getting three or so hours before you look at the, you know, the list of where you've got lives, if you've got a reporter somewhere, you're going to go to that. What's the, the interview? Because often, you know, you'll get, have a, a good production team who will give you draft questions for things. But I think often if it's a sport that I'm not familiar with, like darts or something like that, I'd have to do a bit of prep myself just to feel authentic when you, when you give an interview. Because I think the problem is you can then get caught out potentially if, uh, if a question puts the interviewee off guard or something, you haven't got the, the ability to, to roam about it. So it's just getting that prep, getting information and fixtures that day. Maybe I know our boss is particularly keen on horse racing. So you have to you know, have an awareness of the, the kind of um, the race card for the day where the events are just in the back of your mind and make some, make some notes. But then as you say, in terms of getting yourself ready to present, I think you get better at this and, and, and you have days and doing quite well, but you just give yourself time because we have to, you know, Sky Sports News is quite old school in the sense it's suited and booted. So we've got suits in the locker that we go and get ready to go about an hour or so before, get yourself sorted, maybe give your shoes a buff, um, things like that. But maybe take time out either just to sit in a room and, and just chill, kind of quiet your mind a little bit, just relax. Uh, I tried mindfulness actually recently, a good book about that and just, you know, close your eyes, breathe a bit. Just get yourself in a, in a relaxed state. Cause I think there's a sense that in a lot of these things, it actually relates to sport in a sense, in that performance element that, being amped up and fired up is a good is a good way of approaching it. But often, I think the more relaxed you are, and especially when you're sort of experienced, because you can, you don't get that sort of adrenaline dump that you do starting out. I think you uh, you tend to perform better and actually burn less energy. So if you're on for four or five hours, it's good to be a slightly lower tempo so you can be relaxed and and sort of react to breaking news and things and and just the sort of the chatter in your head. Cause you've got three or four voices in your head for four or five hours, which you know, can, can be uh, slightly uh, slightly maddening after a, a while. So it's good to be in a, a very chilled, calm state when you when you go out there, and just make sure you've got your mic on and your, your earpiece and everything 
good 10, 15 minutes of focus class and now I'm guilty of this, you just rush and then it ends up putting you slightly, which may or may not even be you know noticeable to anyone else, but it's just for you how it feels. I think it's good to just get yourself set up uh, early because on Sunday we came on and we had a situation where my earpiece had, uh, or my kind of talk back had broken and Hayley McQueen is presented with me, microphone wasn't working. So she was trying to mouth to me that I had to keep talking because they couldn't hear her. And uh, so that was like 10 or 15 minutes, the first commercial break. And we had two guests on that I was trying to navigate around and ask. So that was an interesting sort of situation where, you know, it's good to come into that relax so that when it does happen, you can, you can not go even more hyper and then and go into a, a sort of over-adrenalized state. Ed, I really do hope the listeners are listening well, because honestly, I really do appreciate that bit of advice and tips. Literally, I'm just so interested in what you're doing now. Out of interest, really quickly, though, what inspired you to get involved in a boxing podcast? Because it's another sport again you're involved in. Yeah, yeah. Well, it was actually um, at Sky. I was was technically a freelancer at Sky, actually. Uh, And I'm sort of doing a sort of thing on the side now for myself, just for for a bit of fun, because I go to boxing things but it's toe-to-toe ringside podcast ed robinson long-term boxing reporter really studious guy just been doing it for years with a guy called spencer fear on who's a former promoter and, and, and historian and a good friend actually now of mine and i had an opportunity to do that for three or so years toe-to-toe podcast at sky every wednesday afternoon just because i've done um absolute radio and i mentioned i was a sports guy on the breakfast show for a bit i was looking to get extra content and boxing was just phenomenal access i remember frank warren eddie Hearn, people like that just press conference you go to to speak to world champions, speak to Olympic champions. I'm interviewing James DeGale at the Landmark Hotel in London, and as a sort of 26, 27 year old, just with a mic, you know, with a kind of piece of kit, Marantz or, or whatever it was. And you just, and then I could put it on the podcast, absolutely. And then when I came to Sky, I'd always sort of volunteered to do boxing reporting. I'd done a little bit for head of the Vladimir Klitschko David Hay fight in 2011, going out to Austria in Klitschko's camp and spending time there. and kind of intrigued by the psychology of that combat you know what we, people sort of I understand the sensitivities around boxing but then the, the courage to get in the ring the sense of getting these guys off the streets in often cases and, and saving them from from life so there's really interesting characters who are accessible you could open up to so the podcast is great we get a mixture of world champions southern area champions you know novices starting out and just the, the whole the whole spectrum guys that are sort of driving night buses and coming into the studio and Sorry, on a regular day, going to train, dropping their kids off if they're divorced, at school picking. It was it was just great stories, and as a journalist, I think that's what you you look for and a real insight into um in and kind of these guys that sort of literally and metaphorically are, fight, are fighting through through life often. And I think so. I did that for three years, and then through that, I've obviously worked with Matcha a bit. So now I'm hosting occasionally um, through you know Sky's blessing with, with being a partner of Matchroom some of their world feeds for, for sort of international things they have and me and Darren Bark, a former world champion, analysing fights in between in between uh, contests that then go out to predominantly English language speaking countries like the USA and New Zealand and, and Australia and things like that. So it's just a sport that I never participated in as a kid. I think maybe it would have been good to have done so, to have done a bit of training in it. But it's one that's just, I think it's a journalist you realise, and it's a sad thing to a certain extent, that football it, there's a there's a slight kind of um, distance at the moment between the mainstream media and football for various reasons, and I think it's uh, it's a shame because you don't get that that insight into into the personalities and what what got them to where they are. Because I think there's obviously a lot of great stories to of these guys that have that have made it. Absolutely. Just relating back to your career now, what have you been up to recently? Well, uh, recently. 
most recently I was working uh, yesterday, actually till till midnight on Sky Sports News. So it was a fairly quiet night. We just had the championship game, West Brom against Brentford, which finished 1-1. I was working over the weekend on my day job at Sky Sports News. But then last weekend went to Monaco, which was was interesting. It was um, Prince Albert II in a in a casino de Monte Carlo watching on as there was a, a show headlined by a guy called Dennis Lebedev, a Russian cruiserweight fight against an American called Mike Wilson. That was last weekend. So that was a really interesting experience to go there and, and see kind of that event work for work for Maxim, just a very surreal place, very obviously affluent. And uh, yeah, so that's that's been the most uh, the most recent aspect. But generally, day to day is, is every shift a little bit different because it revolves around the sports schedule and kind of day you, you get on. Because Sky Sports News is nearly twenty four hours in terms of its its coverage, so it's yeah, you get very different different experiences each day at work. Uh, just on a personal note, now, what have you enjoyed the most from your sports career journey? Reflecting right now, looking back, I still I still enjoy playing the most by far. Like five aside football on Thursday, I can play. It's totally great. And that's one thing, I think you make that trade-off because you realise that you want to spend your time at work enjoying as much of it as you can. And I think that's a, you know, that's an aspect for me is that rather than follow, you know, not follow because they're younger than me, but a couple of my brothers, one's a, a, a lawyer, one's a doctor, and they earn a lot more money than me even even now. And actually, um, I've sort of figured that you, you want to do your passion, something you enjoy. And so covering sport was the route that I took, but I still... The, the, the negative, one of the biggest things is A, is maybe spending time with your family. My daughter's going to go to school next year, which will be more complicated because she won't be around in the weekdays, which is often when I have my time off. So that'll be like tricky. But more, it's um, or another thing that's always been since my early 20s, in particular, when you're a young man wanting to play sport, is that is the drawback. You can't necessarily play weekends and evenings can be tricky in the week and potentially just a regularized schedule. So you're never quite sure if you can commit to a team and things like that. So for me, if I get five side games, seven side games, sometimes play eleven side games with Sky, or or whether it's you know just going out for a kick around or playing tennis with a mate. Recently did that, but just things like that. Actually, I think for me the bedrock of passion of enjoying it is important to participating. It reconnects you to to why you first fell in love with sport, and then you know henceforth makes you want to find out about those those people who are the greatest exponents of it, the, the professionals. Ed, that is great. I really do hope the listeners really take that on board because I have. And I feel like we're at a great stage of the interview where I'd like to finish with an inspirational question. What advice would you give to university students who want to pursue a career in sports broadcasting? Practice, just reps. And I think if you can make it a simple analogy, because we're covering sport and we probably all love sport if we want to be a sports broadcaster. If you think about someone training for the Olympics or training for a regional meet or whatever it might be, you know, you train, you go to the gym, you do sprints footballer you, you go out on the pitch you train two hours a day try and hone those skills work on your touch work on your shooting if you can do that in the, to broadcasting particularly the training if you can see university as a training ground not necessarily obviously pass your exams get your grades get your certificate and enjoy yourself as well do go out i went out and had a good time as well but try and um just get those reps in so sort of try and get if you've got a studio if you've got an auto cue there go and read it so basically take things out of the equation. So if you can read an article really comfortably by the time you leave university, because you may not have access immediately, you don't get a job presenting with articles like that, but just get that down, uh, go to games, report, go to games on your phone, you know, record match reports on your phone, do updates every 10, 15 minutes. If you're not actually working for a radio station, try to limit yourself to 20 second updates with, um, you know, put yourself in the context of a match day program on five live talk sport, just try and kind of be succinct 
just work, just practice, broadcast this practice. People have got aptitudes for it, and I believe that. And, and try it. And if you think, you know what, it's not for me, try whatever you can at university. Write, broadcast, radio, TV. Because some people like radio, and some people like TV, and some people just don't like being in vision and find radio is actually more of an intimate way of communicating with people in a way through your your voice, a more relaxed medium than, than perhaps TV. So, and just try that, and, and and maybe look at you know doing your own stuff as well. Now you can have a YouTube channel and look at social media and and, what, and create some content maybe and. Maybe not necessarily opinionated stuff, because I think there's a lot of opinion, but maybe try and be clever with it. Interview people, local sports people who've got good stories, whether it's you know, kind of a semi-professional team or a, a lower-rung team, wherever you are at university, just try and get that access and practice interviewing people as well. So I, I just would say treat it like a sport. That If you wanted to be an elite performer in a sport, what would you do? And, and you practice and you train and you, and you get fit. And I'd say just kind of keep that and, and try and play as much as you can as well. If you're a keen sports person, do try and play. Because Martin Tyler, I remember really bizarrely, he ended up being my uncle. He was uh, going to my uncle. My uncle was a doctor as well. There's a lot of doctors in my family. And he um, he said to me when I met him when I was 22, he said, you know, just try and play as much as you can because you will miss that when you're gone. And it's, it's it, when you're gone, when you've, <laughs> when you've reached a certain age and actually, uh, you know, it's, um, it's something that is tricky to combine with covering sport, but it's good to, to play as much as you can as well because I think it does keep your, your passion ticking over. Ed, that is absolutely fantastic. I wish I heard this when I graduated, literally, and I really do appreciate what you've just said. How can people interact with you online? Uh, well, the, yeah, I'm, I'm trying to be as approachable as possible. And it's funny because I put something on LinkedIn about this just because I think whether I'm a people pleaser or just someone that's kind of aware, having gone into universities, that it's a complex kind of relationship now between students and the universities, principally because the financial dynamics of universities are kind of businesses now and they're charging big fees. I think it's £9,000 a year. And I understand that the, the technicalities of paying that back, but there's obviously the big cost of still having accommodation in town. So I think universities are trying to appeal to to sort of a business side of it, whereas I think maybe sometimes aren't, aren't clear with students and don't give them the, the harsh realities because I've, I've seen students that probably don't regularly show up and things. And I think, you know, it's, I'm trying to give some advice on LinkedIn so people can, can follow follow that. And a little bit on Instagram, ed underscore draper81. Be more of a word kind of guy on Instagram <laughs> and selfies and things is, uh, is a little bit of a di- more difficult platform for me to to communicate but twitter is definitely one that i like ed draper 81 all word all one word on social media and you know if you do get in touch with, with something that's um it'd be good to hear from you but yeah i said on, there's a post on linkedin actually just talking about the complexity of the ask for for students and, and aspiring and kind of sort of younger journalists in their career because obviously you've contacted me and, and been kind of very professional in the way you've, you've approached it and i'm happy to help and i think sometimes people just come in with a sort of like, can you get me a job thing, which we can't really as presenters. We're not put in that position probably for obvious reasons as, as kind of public people. We can't give people jobs and work experience placements necessarily. They had to go through sort of official channels to do that. But, you know, people can be a bit demanding sometimes just because they want to get their anxious, which I understand because I was in that same boat of trying to get opportunities. But just, uh, you know, just, just kind of, I guess, think about it from how would I like to be approached? If I was going to be approached, what can I offer? Just be thoughtful, think about how you do it. Absolutely. I was going to say there, that's how we got connected on LinkedIn. And to all the listeners listening in, all those links will be on my website relating to this blog post. And Ed, it's been an absolute pleasure chatting with you today. Thank you very much. Thank you, Ed. Well, good for you for doing this, because this, again, this is an illustration of what people can certainly do in this, in this world.
Wow, what an unbelievable podcast chat with Ed. If you want to work in sports broadcasting, I really do hope that this has provided you a great insight in what it takes to pursue a career in sport broadcasting, but especially in being a sports presenter. Honestly, the stuff that Ed mentioned can really be applicable if that's what you want to do. And I think that's really important because what I learned the most from sports broadcasting and listening to Ed's journey is you've got so many options, but there's nothing wrong with regards to experimenting like he did. He had the passion with regards to writing. Then he went on radio. Then he got himself on the camera. That is what it's all about with regards to working in sports broadcasting, but it's really niching down in what you're really good at. From a career perspective in general in sports, with regards to the career advice Ed provided you, without a doubt, he's absolutely right. Doing the reps and having that athlete mindset is key. And it's something I've even experienced during this podcast journey. With every podcast chat, with every interview I've done, with every editing I've done on this, it's doing the reps. And there's nothing wrong with that because it creates that discipline. So I really do hope on that note as well, you can apply that to your sports career adventure going forward today. And good luck. Now, as always, at the end of each interview, I like to finish with an inspirational quote from my guest speaker. Ed said, broadcasting is about practice. Use university as a training ground. Write, broadcast radio, TV, and communicate in a way you feel comfortable. Treat broadcasting like a sport. Do the reps like an elite athlete.